is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. Podcasting to you from the foggy forest of Meadowdale, Washington, where I am sitting in a garage in a dress shirt, slacks, and dress shoes, doing a podcast. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Tim Kilkenny. I'm from Hood River, Oregon, wearing a Phoenix Suns basketball camp t-shirt. I'm Andrew Hoffman. The Phoenix Suns? Oh my gosh. How did we miss this? What's happening? It was a free shirt. I worked at their camp one year. So. <laughs> That's awesome. And they just drafted the second coming of Greg Oden. Congratulations, Suns fans. You think so? Yeah. I hope not for their sake. Um, well, here it is, episode 200. You and I have done a few of these episodes now. 200 shows. That is a lot. Uh, we have We started the show in, what, 2011? And since then, we've had uh, the Mind Renewed has passed us in show dates. The uh, Canary Cry has passed us in show, like shows, episodes put out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not executing podcasts at a very rapid pace. Uh, we also have uh, lost three or so uh, episodes to the dustbins of history. As in, I forgot to hit the record button. And, uh, you know, some of your, I mean, honestly, I think one of the shows was your best show ever. Or, um, we were hacked and <laughs> the NSA deleted them. Russian, Russian, the Russians hacked the RRN servers and hacked it so bad. There's actually no archives anymore on the back of the show. So anyway, we were, we were thinking about this. We're like, Hey, what do we do here? You know, and, uh, is the dryer, you know, the drive, done. it's still done. It's still it's done. Still done. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're like, hey, what do we do here? You can't even go back to listen to episode one. And even if you could, we never really did like a, hey, here's how we got here type of thing. And so that's what we wanted to do on this show. And uh, started off with uh, just talking about where we come from, influential books, overarching themes in the show. So if you just tune in, we just talk about news and, and kind of roll on, but you know, there's no backstory. And we wanted to do that here and kind of see uh, where each other is coming from. Um, and, uh, you know, what do you think? Where, where do you want to start? Well, and I, I think I think worldview is important. Sure. And it was, uh, when I went to college, it was actually a stated goal of the educational institution I went to was that you will, you know, learn more about your worldview and form your world worldview while you're here now it's like let's see here's your world the most upset here's your issues to get outraged about yeah right um but anyway yeah so we couldn't really figure out a better way of organizing it rather than just kind of chronologically um so we'll start there You, you want me to to start well sure um yeah, and I can I can jump in and see where we came from and w- what we're doing and how it kind of intersects with different things. All right. So, uh, was born in the same town I live in now, Hood River, Oregon. We almost uh, lost. Let me just say this: we almost lost another show to history. 
Yeah. <laughs> we almost just lost another one. The microphone issue on my end was totally messed up, and Andrew had already gone, you know, gotten 10... We were 10 minutes into a show when we realized my my error, so I apologize to, to Andrew, and if he doesn't sound as crisp and wry as usual, that's my fault. And I got four hours of sleep last night. And he has two children's and no sleep. No sleep. <sighs> no money, no sleep. <laughs> more money, more problems. Uh, yeah. All right. Um... So I grew up here in this town, and, uh, you know, one grandpa was the, the local doctor in town who delivered me at, uh, at the hospital, and the other grandpa on the other side of the family was the, the pastor of our church. What an, that's an amazing American story right there. Let's say, yeah. you're, like the, you're like the blue blood of, the, of, of Hood River. The, the small town bef- before the windsurfers, so... Um, yeah, my the uh, grandpa who was a doctor died when I was two years old. Oh, so, which is, which was definitely too bad. He was um, by. I still run into people in town who knew him. You know, like, oh, your last name's Hoffman. Did you ever heard of Leonard Hoffman? Like, yeah, that was my grandpa. So, he was, uh, and he was a big Blazers fan. He had season tickets. So nice. Uh, um. Anyway, so I I had a a good childhood, a pretty happy childhood. Um, you know, mom and dad both both around. Uh, grew up going to a Christ, local Christian school, and then also being homeschooled for first through third grade. Um, and I, you know. I basically grew up believing the Bible and Christianity. So this was not um, something where I had a huge conversion experience from a totally different point of view or, or belief system. Um, but that that doesn't mean there weren't uh, certainly conversions and, and turns in my, my thinking later on. Um, from a, definitely no conspiracy stuff, knew nothing about any anything outside the mainstream uh politics were an afterthought i mean i guess my parents were republicans but it like wasn't a big a big deal um in our lives and what we talked about you know like i knew my mom really wanted me uh really cared about who i was as a christian didn't really you know care what i thought politically so uh i think that's changed i think politics has kind of taken over society to to a a much greater extent um and i was more worried about golf than i was about academics or um politics or anything like that um i liked math growing up which is strange because then i High school, senior year, became a big English literature guy. Chose that as my major in college. Needed a minor. Went with philosophy, just as uh, just as practical. Um, and I I really enjoyed school. I mean, I I like learning new things. I like reading interesting stuff, uh, like philosophical debates, what have you. Um, from a theological perspective, 
I was called out by some uh, hardcore Calvinists in my philosophy classes as a as an open theist, and I did not know what that was, so I looked it up, and I don't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily call myself that, but it was it led to some interesting um, authors and some interesting reading. Um, other classes that I think were influential still on the way I see the world. Uh, we would have uh, debates between a uh, Darwinist biology professor and an intelligent design, um, you know, philosophy guy. So looking at talking about the concept of irreducible complexity, the idea that um, some things in nature, you can't really explain them through Darwinian evolution. Uh, some things like the bacterial flagellum. Why would this very simple creature develop such a complex uh, kind of method of, of getting around? Um, you know, what, what natural selection process would lead to that? It's very difficult to explain. Um, and also a, another idea that stuck out was... Um, a book called C.S. Lewis's Dangerous Idea. Basically, C.S. Lewis argued that um, the concept of reason and truth um, made no sense from a Darwinian perspective. So why would knowing the truth about the world be any evolutionary advantage? So the saber-toothed tiger is running towards you, um, knowing that the saber-toothed tiger is running towards you would be equally as useful from a Darwinian perspective as believing it's running towards you, but it's a good thing, but the way to get closer to it is running away from it. In other words, there's there's no reason for for truth, especially about um, you know belief in God, anything like that. It doesn't really make sense. If it's just a bunch of chemicals, why do people come up with this stuff? Um Another class that was really influential on my my thinking was uh, it was called the atheistic argument from evil, which the basic idea of that is uh, because there is evil in the world, um, there cannot be God as conceived by most, you know, by the Christian religion of being this omnipotent force. Because why would he allow there to be evil? Um, there's a similar argument from suffering. Like, okay, how, why does suffering exist if there's a, a good God? Clearly, there's either God is not good or God does not exist. Um, so, the response to that, there's a, you know, several different ones. There's the, um, this is actually the best of all possible worlds with the least amount of suffering argument, which I, I did not find convincing at all. Um, and then there's an argument from basically freedom, from uh, the existence of uh, human free will requires some flexibility and, and freedom in creation. And that, you know, that brought about sin, that brought about suffering. Um, but there is still, that does not mean that, that God is either not good or not um not sovereign. So, what is, you know, what does sovereignty mean? 
I'll kind of skip through uh, to the kind of conspiracy awakening part. Uh, randomly saw a video in the school computer lab. I didn't have my own computer back in those days. Um, of uh, it was a 9/11 conspiracy video about no plane hitting the Pentagon that Google randomly showed to me. I don't even remember what what I was searching that brought that up. Um, and I had no no idea what they were talking about. And then a couple years later, um, someone read a David Ray Griffin book and told me about it, which he did a lot of 9-11 research stuff. And that was actually re- reading David Ray Griffin books was actually my my path into the down the rabbit hole. Um, he sourced a lot of interviews from Alex Jones, started listening to that podcast, uh, purchased an iPod Classic. This is back 2006 era. And, uh, it was not known still, as the classic at that point. Yes, not known. <laughs> it was as, known, as known as the as iPod. iPod. Yeah, and there were already newer versions at that point, but um, still, that's still the iPod that I have now. Um, Does it still work? Yeah, yes. still works. I've had to replace headphones a bunch of times, but but the actual iPod, and I've had to like delete it down to nothing and start over again, but. Um, that was was influential, and then also moving to Korea and having a work schedule of 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. combined with not really knowing anyone. Um, I had a my pastime was basically uh, get up, eat some breakfast, walk outside across the street, started hiking trails that I could take for. Anyway, I could take him for 20 miles if I wanted to. Wow. And um, just hiking and listening to podcasts was basically what I what I did when I wasn't working. Um, could you imagine if you got to, you to go do that for a week now? Now that you're yeah. married with a kid, with two, yeah, with two kids and a wife and everything. Can you imagine if you just like, if I just like transported you to like go hiking and listen <laughs> to podcasts all day, you'd be like, this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> it, would, it would be pretty nice. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would. Uh, what I was listening to, Alex Jones, uh, the Corbett Report, the Corbett Report, which is still, I don't know. As far as a podcast, it's still, I think, at the the top of the list there. Uh, Frank and Chris show no, and then Chris White's Nowhere to Run podcast. Um, then there was a, a website called SermonIndex.net, and uh, I don't know if they're still around or not. Maybe um, I don't know if there's copyright issues or what, but basically they would put out um, really good, put out really good sermons as podcasts. So that was kind of. Um, that was my my church over there was listening to to sermons via podcast. Um, also able to listen to sermons from my home church back in in Phoenix. Still, Still around. around. Yep. Sermonindex.net. Pulls yeah, so right I'd, up, and you got audio stuff. 
Yep. Looks like an older web. Looks like it hasn't been updated since you were mm. listening to it. But yeah, there yeah. it is. And then uh, Future Quake. I think I found Future Quake while I was still in Korea. I can't really. I, I'm not 100 percent sure. Actually, it might have been after I got back to the U.S. But uh, listen, to Future Quake. Uh, I've told the story before, but I had emailed Chris White back and forth a few times, and I told him like, "Hey, man, you should write a book." Like, and he said, "Well, put an outline together for me. Tell me what I should write." And I put that <laughs> put together the outline. And he said, "Yeah, sounds pretty good, man. I think you got this stuff figured out. Go ahead and write it." So, uh, <laughs> li- you know, maybe that planted the seed, and Chris later decided. Hey, writing a book's really easy. I'll just start pumping out books every couple months. <laughs> so he, he did go through that phase there, which they were they were excellent. Um, you know, documentaries, all sorts of stuff. So then came back to the U.S. and it's like, hey, I'm I'm going to be a writer. I wrote this book. I was a guest on Future Quake. The world is my oyster, right? So I started researching for a book on uh, that was going to be titled Mass, Mass Propaganda. Read a lot of uh, Jockey Lule, uh, Edward Bernays, uh, Theodore Kaczynski, all sorts of stuff. So um, I have, and I just found them the other day, I've got like four notebooks full of notes and quotes uh, for the book that never was. So uh, that brings us uh, 2010, met my current wonderful wife, got married, um, and, you know, work became a little bit more important to have an actual job um, than kids. And in the meantime, actually, before even our our first daughter was born um that's when you called up in 2011 and said let's do a podcast so you know the the podcast became my my outlet in connection with the um christian conspiracy micro subculture and it, and it continues to this day i was actually uh looking up a couple different things today to talk about and I thought, you know, I'm going to look up your book. And so I looked it up on Amazon, and uh, there there you were. And then I went and read the reviews and just wanted to see. And, you know, one or two people men- mentioned that they that they uh, really liked the book and also listened to the to, to your podcast. So I thought that that was that was pretty cool. Nice. So people people still still do listen to it. So I th- I think the the first interview I did for the book was with Chris White on his podcast. Right, and I still remember the first uh, YouTube review. You know, I'd post them on YouTube. Right. Uh, that guy Chris interviewed, not a talker. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube, which is true, yeah. which is true. But YouTube's hey. YouTube's funny, right? One thing that strikes me about your story is, um, you're an intellectual. I mean. <laughs> In like the truest sense, you know, truest sense, I think you've, you know, intellectual in like your uh, English major, your you know philosophy major. You've gone through private school. You've gone through homeschooling, 
And I think you just kind of prime to look at the world in a unique way that I think is lost on a lot of people these days. Not that, that your point of view is, but just that they would, mm-hmm. they would have a hard time repeating your upbringing um, to get to where you are now. Uh, but it, it definitely provides unique perspective. I always enjoy, you know, hearing where you're coming from on stuff, and it just helps me, kind of, you know, just see things from a different light from somebody I trust. You know, another thing that uh, I noticed about your story is it is drastically different from mine, and I mean <laughs> super drastically. And so that's 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 probably what makes the show, right? Is you got two different people coming from two different places and kind of meeting in the middle in this crazy, you know subculture of uh you know alternative media but i guess i'll start uh now i was uh officially i guess born in massachusetts i only lived there until i was five you may not have even known that about me no i didn't kind of i thought i thought you were born and raised in oklahoma i'm not i was born in uh, massachusetts lived there until i was five moved to oklahoma after so you know i don't remember anything before five really anyway yeah grew up there uh right in the bible belt um we went to church. We hopped around a lot of different churches. I didn't have a great church experience. Experienced a lot of hypocrisy. Was kind of involved in some Pentecostal churches. Um, and yeah. Um, anyway, I didn't get along great with my family, my parents. And I left home very early. I ran away from home when I was 17 years old. And went and lived on my own. And uh, after doing that for a couple of years, I was like looking at him at... at you know, how do I get out of here? Because <laughs> I was living in Oklahoma, and I li- looked at a map, and I thought, you know, if I join the Navy, <laughs> I'm not going to be stationed there, here. Like, <laughs> there is, n- there's nowhere more out of Oklahoma than the Navy. Than the Navy, so take you to the oceans, right? Which, which I actually was a little worried about because even when I was at my recruiter, he was like, "Hey Tim, just so you're we're clear, you're going in enlisted. You have no designation. They're going to put you wherever they need you." I said, "I know, I know, it's good." And he said. So, there are Navy people at Tinker Air Force Base, which was like 10 miles away. So, anyway, so I guess it was like a, a minute <laughs> chance I would end up there, but I did not. I uh, went into the Navy, got stationed up here in the great northwest in Seattle, where I am currently located. And when I first got here, I hated it. Actually, I was in Everett, which is a little bit north of it. I hated it. I hated this place. It's too crowded. It's too cloudy. The sun doesn't come out. People are weird. It, there's no light during the summer or during the day or winter. It just anyway. But uh, I went through my four and a half years of enlistment, at which time I didn't. I was. It was. It was strange. A, a captain once told me that if I never got off the boat, I would be a model sailor. <laughs> so basically, whenever I was on the boat, I was like hardworking. You could count on me. I would always be there. You know, do the work that I was supposed to do. You know, people. You know, always. You know, gave me good recommendations and, and everything else. Off the boat, drinking, fighting, getting into all kinds of trouble, being a, a general young person. I mean, when you're in your early 20s, you just don't know what's, what you're doing or what's going on. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> went through that stage there. Four and a half years later, the Navy and I decided to part ways. Uh, it was amicable. I was done. They were done. It was time to go. So uh, I got out, and uh, shortly after getting out, you know, actually it wasn't. Sh- eh. A couple of years after getting out, I thought, you know, I should probably stop drinking. I've gotten a lot of trouble with this drinking thing, so I got sober. And then, uh, you know, got my own apartment. Just as, just as easy as that? Uh, I mean, it was. 
It was, it was, I went, I went through, well, here, I mean, here, how about this? I'll, I'll, I'll backtrack a minute. I went to a, uh, I had to, <laughs> I, in order to get my driver's license back for aforementioned crimes, um, in messing around, I had to go to treatment, you know, state sponsored treatment, which is like the worst. Mm. And I was, didn't believe in it. I didn't want to go. So I just decided, okay, you know, we'll just go do this, you know, just trying to get my license back. That's all. But I met a guy and the best I could describe it is remember Robin Williams in Goodwill hunting. Mm-hmm. And he would just like, like Matt Damon would just like talk, lie to him or talk crap to him. And then Robin Williams would just throw it right back at him. I ended yeah. up, I ended up with a counselor like that. I was like, this is what's happening. This is the problem. Da, 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 da. And he's like, ah, you're just making that stuff up. You just don't want to do it. And this is why and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, wow, that's actually pretty dead on. Anyway, so I started to kind of <laughs> listen to what he was saying. And uh, sure enough, one day I just looked over and there was this guy and he was all tatted up and stuff. And he was like, he had this, he was like glowing. He's happier than I'd ever seen anybody, you know. I still remember what the guy looked like. And uh, he was in one of the, you know, meetings because we had to have group meetings or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, thrilled because he had been sober for three years from heroin addiction and he had got visitation rights back to his daughter and he was holding down a job and he was just like happy about life and i just remember being like you know that's probably a better way to be (laughs) so that was kind of it um you say that's it um one day it did click that's all that's all i can say i fit more mayhem and uh drunkenness uh, between the ages of about 18 and 25 than most people fit in their whole life. I mean, I was <laughs> constantly drinking, doing something, getting into something. It was just, it was crazy. I actually, and that's another thing we might even mention since we're doing a biographical piece. I actually almost died. You know, I uh, got in a fight in San Diego. I got pushed off of a balcony and fell about 15 feet, smashed my face on a ledge and then fell five more feet. Woke up in oh, woke up wow. in surgical intensive care after that one, and uh, had to. They basically had to surgically restructure my face. They, you know, like my girlfriend at the time brought a picture to the hospital, and it's crazy. So anyway, wow, yeah, I didn't, know, I didn't know this. Story. I never told you that story. Uh, I don't <laughs> like talking about it too much. It's a little sensitive. But anyway, a couple within a few years after that, I was like, you know, there was that time I almost died too. Like this really isn't a good, you know direction for me so uh that and being arrested countless times and i mean countless now i've never done any uh like major crime that you would i mean i've you know there's been drug use and alcohol use but there's never been like a major like you know crime um but it's it's all like very small like it's traffic it's uh you know uh, being drunk in public uh traffic related dui i guess it's not a a uh Trivial thing. It's very dangerous. I don't recommend anyone does it, but it was all just kind of based on that. There was never anything further. But that being said, it, it was so consistent that I would get arrested like a lot. Um, and I, so I, that's a weird way to, to kind of experience the criminal justice system. Yeah. And not, it's weird. Like I was almost like a visitor there because the people that were there had a lot worse problems than I did. Um, but I was there with them and I got to kind of see you know, what it was like inside county jails and stuff like that. Even, you know, military jail. Uh, man, I'm getting deep. I didn't think I would talk about this sort of stuff on the, this show. Uh, and I don't usually talk about this. But, yeah, I got a chance to see the inner workings of the beast in a lot of ways. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, I definitely deserved what I, what I, why I was there and everything. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
So it wasn't just, yeah, I got sober one day. I guess I, there was a big footnote there of a lot of other mm-hmm. stuff that happened. But it did shape my worldview. I started to see, you know, it's weird. When you first hear about, you know, let's say Saudi Arabia or United Arab Emirates when you're in Oklahoma, you think, well, that's an alien planet. You know, that's, that's way out there. That's right. crazy. You, you first hear about Japan or South Korea and you, oh, that's some, some crazy other land. And then you get in the Navy and you go there and they're just people doing the same thing, care about the same thing. It really like brings it home to you, right? And then you hear about people in jail. Well, oh, people in jail are, they're all criminals and they're all horrible. And then you go to jail and you see like, they're just people who have totally messed up and had some really rough lives, you know? And then you hear about the police, and it's like, the police are horrible, and turns out they are. So, anyway. <laughs> no, I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, so, you know, some, some of them are. Some of them really are. Yeah. Like, I remember yeah. several in particular, you know, one in particular. But, so now I've had interactions with them and everything. Look, the Lord was really looking after me. I'll say that, too. You know, I had strayed away from Christianity uh, in my late teens uh, and just said, you know, I'm done with this and I'm going to move on. And I think I think God was watching out for me through all of it, especially the, the near-death experience there. So um, all of a sudden, one day, I get this counselor and he kind of tells me this is why I'm doing this stuff. And it made a lot of sense to me. And I just thought, my life would be better if I got sober. I should give it a whirl. Saw the guy that was addicted to heroin with his life turned around and got motivated and did it. And that was it. And it, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I was never a big AA guy, but a lot of stuff they talk about in AA is true. And it's just like one day at a time. It's like one hour, two hours, three, you know, just take it as small as you can. If you think I'm never going to drink again, you'll never do it. But I've just been putting one day after the next after the next, and that was, what, 2005? So I am 13 years sober in March. Or I was 13 in, in just this past March. Which is crazy for a guy who's only 37 to have been sober for 13 years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my family can attest to that, you know, I, I, I lived a little. I partied a little. Did a lot of different things, including, you know, drugs and whatnot and experimentation. But I just, it's not the it's not the right life, you know. I... I I would say that the reason that you and I backgrounds are so different is because you actually learn and learn from reading. I am, I learn by doing and I did a lot of things wrong to learn what not to do. And that's, I'm worried about my son, man, because the guy, he wants to do everything. He wants to climb on the sink. He wants to jump off this. He wants to learn by doing too. And I just got to lay down. I got to figure out how to like, let him know, like there are things not worth doing. And, and here's yeah. what happened to me. So anyway, um, moving along, I'm, I got a decent job doing blue collar work, granite countertops, I think, uh, totally sober. Things are starting to get, you know, together, paying off old debts, uh, really just starting to turn my life around. And I, I, you know, get a computer and start, you know, surfing the web. And I came across a YouTube video by Chris White. And Chris is really a formative person in or in my journey because I came across this video and it made a big like impact on me. It was kind of just like him. He was kind of ranting towards truth or the truth or movements or something like this. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what it was. I was like, what is this guy rambling about? You know, and I went and watched a couple of his other videos and then I started looking at the truth or stumbled onto other things. And then on to 9-11 because remember, he used to talk about everything. Oh, yeah. So... You know, I started to kind of branch off to other things that they were he was talking about and really got kind of into all his YouTube videos. And 
you know, he kept going back to this Bible thing, Bible, you know, God, God, God. And I'm just like, man, he is, I don't know about his, it's all this Bible obsession, but you know, the, a lot of stuff he's talking about, he really makes sense. He's a great teacher, right? Mm-hmm. He really was. So, or he is. Um, so anyway, I, I just kind of started there and kind of branched off from there. So when I first started listening to, you know, his podcast, which was uh, Nowhere to Run, that was probably the, one of the most formative podcasts ever, right, for me. Mm-hmm. And then I started to get into podcasting. You know, you know, I did a lot of the YouTube truther stuff, but for me, it was at the you know the podcast thing because I, as I as I just described, I'm a doer. I got to be doing something. I'm always moving, and so podcasts popping in my ear, and I could go do other stuff. It was awesome. So it really started to digest everything that Chris White ever made, and from there, kind of branched off and saw you know a lot of different truther stuff. I eventually said, okay, well, now he's got this. I, I, went, I needed more, right? So I'm like, Frank and Chris show. It was a live call-in show that this guy, Frank uh, Lordy and Chris White did. And they would just talk to each other, just like you and I are doing. But they would let people call in, and there was a chat room, and they could talk. And uh, I, I remember getting like, man, that is awesome. And it, it, it got serious, man. Like, there for a little bit, you know? That was like my church, Frank and Chris show. Like, being in the chat room and listening to those guys talk. It was like my church, and there was a lot of people, you know, who were with us on that. And so that was that was kind of cool. Um, but I'm starting to kind of come back to Jesus, basically, kind of realizing, hey, you know, the more and I've talked about this before. The more I looked into the New World Order, the more I realized that okay, it's all run by like these the select few, and I'm like, okay, all in, totally understand that. That makes sense to me. Everything I've seen in the world, you know, through this varied experience, all that makes sense. There's a couple people. All right, cool. And then they run, you know, these families and they're kind of all kind of, uh, uh, you know, segmented and divided up and they can, you know, take care of this and they own this company and this company and they're all compartmentalized and that all makes sense to me. It's like, okay. And then all those people like, you know, kind of worship demons. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. You know, kind of worship demons, you know, trying to get power, this and that and the other thing. And it's like, and then those people who are really close to demons, they sacrifice, you know, children. (laughs) Or whatever, and I'm like, what? And like, I start, oh, what, what? And it's like, you know, you reach the top of the pyramid, and it's like the foot of Satan, right? Like, it's like mm-hmm. the, the higher up you get, the more horrible it is. And I'm like, okay, wait, this is this is crazy, right? Okay, so they believe in demons, but they think that they're like the they're getting power from them. So demons are giving these people power, and then they can control the world. And it's like. All I can describe it as, man, is just a, like literally a switch, like just a, a someone flipped a switch, and it made sense. I was like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" So that means that stuff from way back, the Pentecostal churches back in Oklahoma, the family that I was estranged from, you know, I'm, at this point I was back in touch with them, but that I left, you know, early and everything, they actually were talking about this, but not on this deep level. I've actually found, you know, this other. Mm. kind of way to it right so I've, we met in the middle i started i started on a very extreme side of everything and came all the way back to this is if 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 it's uh, it's, an, it's old, amazing how much smarter your parents get the older you get yeah it's so. true it's true <laughs> it's very true the oligarchy right or the people at the top they if they're satan worshipers then like my whole world view i already know it i don't need any other religion i just need to go back to jesus because I actually know the answer. Mm-hmm. Used to have a relationship with the only thing that can actually stop this crap. You know, the only person. And so I thought, you know, I got to go back to 
go back to Jesus, and that was it. So started getting back into uh, getting back into Jesus, and actually, you know, just bought the Bible. I wasn't going to church, man. I still don't like church. I didn't have a great experience like you did. Um, I'm getting better at liking church, but at this point, especially, I was not into it. I just bought a Bible and just said, I'm going to read it and listen to Chris White, and that's all I'm going to do. And mm-hmm. and then from there, branched out to other stuff. Um, I do want to say, from there, I started to listen to other podcasts on Revelations Radio Network. Wise's Serpents was an influential podcast, which was by Frank Lordy, and he helped yeah. me with the view of things and looking into finances. And he was just, and it just struck me. He was just, he would talk about these really grand conspiracies and the and the different uh, ways the media was being used against us and he was very motivating to watch just this dude right he was just a regular dude and he was talking about this is what's happening and this is why you don't need to pay attention to this this is baloney and this you know and he was very kind of you know east coast you know almost new jersey accent about it just this is it just ignore this stuff you know all you need is jesus or you know that was pretty cool and then from there uh, I found another po- the po- other podcast. I think Future Quake was hugely formative for me. Uh, ran into uh, you at the at the conference or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and then kind of got turned on to the Corbett Report. James has been a big influence uh, on on me. And then uh, Frank and Chris show went away, and I wanted to replace it, so I did the Tim and Mike show. So I had another mm-hmm. podcast before this one where it was basically just a call in show, and we just had church like it was about praying about regular stuff. And uh, Mike and I kind of had a little bit of a falling out. He moved on to other things. And, you know, we were done with that podcast. But you and I had already started one up in 2011 by the time that one was over. And that was, hey, let's talk about the news. We're missing Frank. We're missing Chris. Let's just be the news source on Revelations Radio Network. And uh, not necessarily the news source, but just a news source that's kind of, I don't want to be ageist, but that was kind of a younger stream, you know, younger view on what was going on. And, uh, you know, something that people could, you know, you know, check in with. Because I enjoyed that about Chris as we could check in as things happen. I could always say, hey, what does Chris think? What does Frank think? So that's kind of mm-hmm. that's kind of the impetus for this show. Um, before I keep rambling, any questions, any thoughts? No, I, I, I had... I learned stuff. You learned uh, stuff? That's good. Yeah, 200 episodes, and I, I didn't yeah, know half of that. I don't like so. talking about all that stuff. Like, in a way, it's kind of like a powerful testimony, but in a, another way, it's actually kind of painful to remember and to just remember how hard I made things. So I don't like talking about it a lot, but hey, it's a 200th episode. There's some. There's a reason to uh, to look at it. And, you know, I'm more and more proud of myself and just the way that God kind of helped me through it and thankful, I guess is better, probably mm-hmm. a better word. Thankful and, and, and just, you know, yeah. So now I got I got my son and it's like, it's just this overwhelming urge. Like, okay, look. <laughs> yes. Just because every, someone tells you something, don't be completely, I'm the most anti-authority person I know. If someone tells me to do something, it's so hard for me to do it. I almost immediately just don't want to do it. And I think all people are a little bit like that, but I have like some really harsh streak that direction. Uh, so I'm really kind of struggling with how to raise uh, my own son, obviously. Um, but uh, you just got to tell him like, hey, don't go, don't go learning everything the hard way. It's not a, it's not a good way to live. And hopefully he'll have a dad who will be honest with him and tell him that, you know, uh, ahead of time, so he didn't have to go out and and talk about it. So, you know, or go out and try it himself. So. 
Anybody out there that's listening, uh, young, uh, what's what is what is her name? Our uh, our, our number one fan there in Texas, uh, Ellie. Ellie, don't learn everything the hard way. She's the youngest yes. person I know that that listens to our show. So, um, listen yeah. to your dad. There you go. Listen <laughs> to your dad. Don't learn everything the hard way. So, um. Yeah, I think that's it. I listed influential books here, but we can move into that later. I did want to point out uh, one of the influential books for me was uh, New World Order and Eugenics Wars, A Christian Perspective. Andrew Hoffman wrote a book. My two things I wanted to highlight were I used to have another podcast and Andrew wrote a book because I don't think we've talked about either of those things in a long time. So I wanted to make sure we we talked about them. Yeah. uh, People actually used to buy and read that book occasionally so. <laughs> yeah there you go there you go but one thing that that's actually um almost exclusively uh is it's the the same guy and i think he listens to the podcast too uh, i think we've gotten feedback from him that way as well but um so he he buys my book and he sends it to prisoners Wow. And it's it's a pain in the neck to get it through. Like, they will reject it for any reason. Like, oh, the envelope is uh, watertight and therefore could serve as a drink container. So it gets, you know, they send the book back. Um, so in some ways, it's a pain in the neck. It's, it's also eye-opening on the federal prison system. But it is, um, it's mainly people who were kind of, uh, either the Montana Freeman type, okay, um, or just kind of, you know, not not truth or like conspiracy stuff, but but more constitutionalist, you know, mm-hmm. and just not willing to back down. And they're political prisoners. One guy, I mean, crazy story up in Alaska is running for office, and the he took on the FBI, and the FBI. Um, tried to frame him a bunch of different times like hey you know you want to get the government don't you you want to blow stuff up don't you and he never went for it kidnapped his kids to get him to react to that and um, I'm messing up the story but anyway an amazing story Um, that guy's one of the ones in in jail there's um, and then there's another guy who just sent me a letter saying, um, hey, please write President Trump. My case is up for uh, for a pardon or a pardon or a commutation. So um, hopefully that, that goes through because his was another one of those kind of political prisoner type cases. So. Wow. Um, so your book becoming useful everywhere. So I, I guess uh, – it has a larger than uh, usual footprint in the federal prison population. And you, so, you want to be on you want to be on a watch list. Hey, all the political prisoners <laughs> in the country, let's send them the copy of this book which I wrote. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, and I was I didn't really know the story on like why these people were in prison. I just knew he's like, hey, send the book to these people. And so I used the PO box at work. So now I get um, uh, 
you know, letters from the prisoners <laughs> that get delivered to my work. So I get some, some strange, uh, strange <laughs> looks there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, one thing I, I also did want to go back to, cause I kind of talked about the alcohol and my own issues in the early twenties, but, um, another part about being in the Navy is seeing how the machine worked from the inside, uh, in the war machine. So I was in the Navy when September 11th happened. I was in the Navy for the you know bombing of Afghanistan. I was in the Navy for uh, the shock and awe campaign. Uh, kind of on different... I was actually on the opposite boat at the time. When the Lincoln was in Persian Gulf for uh, shock and awe, I was on the Vincent. When the Vincent was in the Afghani- off the coast of Afghanistan and bombing them after 9-11, I was on the Lincoln. So I was kind of on the two different boats that were really participants in that. Um, which are, you know, of course, United States aircraft carriers. So I used to work on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. I was one of the green shirts on the top on the flight deck that would launch planes off uh, via the catapult. So one of the more dangerous jobs in the world, uh, but, you know, super duper fun. (laughs) You know, just being up there and, hey, you know, head on a swivel and you can get blown off the edge and sucked into an intake and everything else. And for a thrill seeker like myself, that was awesome. So launching the airplanes off. And then it just, you know, at first it was awesome because we were like never really at war. But I do want to point out, even though before uh, Iraq, the Iraq war, the second one, when I first got in in 1999, we were still going over, I guess it was year 2000 by the time we made it over, we were still going to enforce the no-fly zone in Iraq. That place, I mean, that thing, mm. never, that really never ended. We were still right. doing that, and that was long before September 11th or anything else had happened. So I just wanted to point that out, that that was still happening, and just kind of learning that, hey, this is still happening. And I remember watching planes take off with ordnance at that time, and then come back without it. Now, I was definitely not a person that had any kind of classification or, you know, secret, top secret, you know, classification uh, status or anything like that. But I could see they would come back without ordinance and, you know, they may have been doing drills and dropping it somewhere else, but I don't know. And that's kind of where I started. And then uh, after shock and awe and all that stuff, it just started to feel weird. You know, these planes, we'd launch them off. They had all these bombs and missiles and stuff on them and they'd come back and they wouldn't have anything. And it just, it just felt weird, man. And it didn't feel like, either time it didn't feel like we really needed to be there and it was just a weird kind of uh it was just, it was just a an eerie feeling you know and, and there's a mm-hmm. i think I, I and that also actually uh becomes my experience with like antidepressants um i took a, several different antidepressants during that time um and so i've been familiar with kind of different effects of ssris um and then when i got out Yes, I did just stop taking them. Like when I got in the Navy, I literally just stopped taking them. Um, but yeah. So anyway, those the, I kind of that that kind of shaped the extremely anti-war bent that I had. On top of that, the the guys that are over there, I mean, you know, it's a lot of people who had a hard life. You know, who had a hard life and didn't know where to go or didn't know what to do. You know, there was uh, people from Costa Rica or Nicaragua who were just trying to get their citizenship, and some years in the service would help and. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of people from inner cities and, and different stuff like that. And, you know, they weren't necessarily the most patriotic. They just kind of did it because it was one of the only things they could think of to do, you know. And they just, then they just followed orders. So, anyway, that kind of at least bends to my very yeah, not anti-war a, Not bit. a lot of people from the, uh, you know, kind of the coastal elite cities. No. Not a lot of people from Manhattan. No. On, uh, no. 
in the military. No. A lot of people from the south, a lot of, you know. Right. Or south, middle of the country. Yep, yep, yep. It's a very good point. So, anyway, that, that, that kind of carries out the anti-war, Ben. And I am very anti-war. Um, well, then when you, you find out 9-11 was a, a lie. Yes. And a, a stage provocation, that kind of tends to make you say, what else is going on? And that's yeah. the whole... You know, it's it's hard to. I think we're we might be kind of a unique micro generation of like no we're <laughs> we will not be believing the government yeah. at any point or the TV. You know? Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird. People don't believe the TV anymore, man. Yeah, some people do, but I a lot of people I see don't. And at the same time. Yeah, there's people that really believe the TV. Yeah, they control the narrative. So, or well, but it's it's different because it used to be kind of, um, I won't say middle of the road, but there was one narrative. You know, well, there was three, dialogue. There's, there's three news channels, or there's three networks. They're all saying the same thing. Must be true. And now it's like the people that hardcore believe MSNBC don't believe a word of Fox News. The people that hardcore believe Fox News don't believe a word of MSNBC. So there's (laughs) – it's definitely changed. But so the the universal or almost universal like believing what you see on television, that is gone. I mean it really is. Yeah, yeah. Well, and thank God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, that one thing I wanted to talk about, we haven't really touched on. What are what are influential books? What are must read books? I'll, I'll start. Must read books for uh, our podcast. I, I had to come up with, and this is very stereotypical, but it is the truth. Right around the time I discovered Chris White, and moving on from there, 1984. That's when I read it. Right then. Mm. I yeah, read 1984, nice. and it really tied it. Like, literally, my Bible study and then reading 1984 were, like, hand in hand. Like, I totally understood both. Okay, this is awesome. You know, I can understand where this is coming from. And uh, really enjoyed 1984. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but after kind of waking up to 9-11, having gone through, you know, being in the military, having been arrested countless times, just an interesting perspective to see, okay, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not an intellectual like you are, right? Like I don't have like the education in, in the background, but I've seen stuff like on the back end, like where the rubber meets the road, mm-hmm. and so I'm able to actually see a lot of his like philosophical references to you know just different things, the proles, you know, that always stuck with me, the proles, the proletariat, the the people yeah. that waste their kind of mindless and waste their their life away on like gambling and stuff like that. And I, you know, I had a unique perspective for a lot of that stuff, or you know, other things. So, 1984, hugely formative. Uh, and then I read shortly after that, within I'd say a month or two, I read uh, Brave New World, mm-hmm. and also very, very formative book for me. Uh, helped me to to kind of see that hey, it's not all the human, you know, the the boot stamping on the face. It's also distraction, you know, and food for the masses, bread and circuses, uh, as well as even a little bit of. Uh, Chemical dependency in there with the soma. Yeah. So genetic engineering. Yeah. Shortly, <laughs> shortly after that one, I read Animal Farm. This is a really bright, sunshiny period of book reading for me. 
mm-hmm. Animal Farm. Animal Farm actually, I think to this day is one of the. I've never reread it. It was. Ex- it's an extremely powerful book, but also wildly depressing. Like I understood every mm-hmm. reference and really agreed with what was being kind of. But it's it's so. I don't want to say heavy handed because it's not. It's so dark. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Seriously, it's a great book, but it's dark. Like when you really, because all he's talking about is like the cow or the you know the the horse, right? Yeah. But it yeah, that poor horse, that horse, like that part is especially dark. It just I don't know, but it really kind of helped me to realize okay, people can really easily be swayed by labeling and political politics and this and that. You know, two legs good, four legs bad. Mm-hmm. You know it. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so um, I'm going to say all three of those. And then I'm going to skip forward, way forward, to within the last, shoot, I would say it was about five years ago. So most of that stuff was all about over ten years ago. This is only within the last five years. But I read a book, and this is one of the more influential books on my worldview. And this is in a different kind of direction that you know than the rest of the show has taken, especially when you go through those three books, 1984, Brave New World, and Animal Farm. Uh, I read a book by a guy named Bob Goff called Love Does. And it's an amazing book. It's a Christian book, and it's written from a perspective of just a whimsical kind of guy who just talks about like what he's experienced in life. And he starts every chapter. You know, I used to think that you know, God wanted me to do this, but now I know something, something, something. And he always says, this, you know, and then he goes into these stories and he tells these stories just about loving people where they're at. Just being there, just sometimes just being there where, where, where people are, not even necessarily doing anything, but just talking to them and being around them and helping those who need it. And just being, you know, looking at the world a little bit differently. And we're talking about things that change worldview. And I think that book really did change my worldview. It didn't have to be this like, you got to get them to say the sinner's prayer. You got to get them to speak in tongues. You got to get them to do this. You got to get them to do that. And then they're going to be saved. And you're going to, you know, it's the greatest thing you could do. And it wasn't that. It was more just like, hey, love people. That's it. That's really all you're called to do. And so uh, I highly recommend that. I'd actually, you know, love to hear your thoughts on that book, Mr. Hoffman. But I remember I even sent that fa- that book to my father. And he read it. And he, I actually sent it to every member of my family. And he was the only one that read it. But he loved it. And, uh, even even taught Bible studies, you know, that were about it. So hmm. it's a really really good book. Uh, and he actually just just within the last couple of months came out with a, a sequel to it. Uh, funny that I should mention that actually he in the sequel talks about how this is really his third book because he wrote a second book and it was the whole manuscript was stolen from his uh, van. The van, the church van uh, windows got smashed out. They stole his entire computer and he never backed anything up. So, oh man! Lost to the dustbins of history is his second book. Uh, oh. So he calls this 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 second book that's out. He calls it his third book. But uh, you know, I thought you could relate, man. All the podcasts you and I did that didn't actually ever come <laughs> out. So can't imagine the book though. That's tough. So I'll have to check that one out. I haven't read that one. I got, um, I got a small bonus section, just some super quick ones. These ones I already had my world order. But or I already had my world order. I already had my world view, but they added to it um, and helped kind of to uh, kind of strengthen it. Uh, I read Beyond a Pale Horse with by Bill Cooper. I read New World Order and the Eugenics Wars: A Christian Perspective by yours, <laughs> not truly, but Mr. Andrew Hoffman. 
Um, and then Black 9-11 by Mark Gaffney. Re- mm, yeah. Really, really enjoyed that book. Did you read that one? I think so, yeah. The only thing I don't like about it at the end, he gets super into... Uh, what is that? Uh, not nihilism, but come on, it's the one everybody loves nowadays. Oh, come on, I'm going to miss it. It's... Um, Gnosticism. He gets really into Gnosticism mm. at the end. It's really bored. It's like, okay, dude, I really enjoyed all the stuff he did about money. Why did you have to go in this direction? So, anyway, and then I read Dark Alliance by Gary Webb. That was another another really good one. So those are kind of not formative, but really kind of help firm up my 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 worldview. Well, I'll throw in there with uh, uh, Brave New World in 1984. I think C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy is kind of underrated from the uh, New World Order perspective. Like, New World Order exposure perspective. So, um, I would recommend that series. Um, And King Lear is... I'm not a huge Shakespeare guy, but King Lear is definitely one of the the best works of literature and most insightful as far as um, political power and how people (laughs) you know will lie and cheat to get it and how people um, treat someone who has it versus treat someone who doesn't have it anymore Hmm. Um, and that's a I mean that's that's kind of the whole book right King Lear have you? Are you familiar with it at all? I have a really unfortunate experience with King Lear. I went to a uh, a play, and uh, the it was at the Moore Theater here in Seattle, and it was Shakespearean. In that, do all Shakespearean actors refuse to use a microphone? Well, I mean, they didn't have microphones back then. But right. No, no, no. I know. I know. Of course. Of course. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> That's great, man. So the, tell, tell me but more. It, was it like a, was it a, uh, like recreation? Like this is how they really did it back in the. Yes. Um, yes. So I did a, sh- anyway, it was in the more theater and the acoustics were atrocious. <laughs> and so I really think I missed a lot of what was actually happening. So I don't have that much. I, I went and saw it live, mm-hmm. lear, hoping to learn more and did not because I, the acoustics were horrible. It's like, Hey, this is how they did it in Shakespeare's day. And this is exactly what it would, would have been like, you know, in the, in the original reenactments. Great. I can't hear anything. Cause I'm in a giant amphitheater. <laughs> so right. anyway, yeah. So my fault. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, so King Lear, he's like, you know, everyone is worshiping the guy because he's king. And he's basically like, ah, I need a vacation, so I'm just going to pass on my kingdom to my my children. And he, in his mind, he's thinking things will just march right along. You know, so he ends up ends up giving it to his two daughters who flatter him and kiss up to him, and not giving the kingdom to his daughter that is loyal but honest to him. And um, so almost immediately upon grasping the keys to the kingdom, they start treating him like dirt. So he, it's him, you know, raging and basically finding out who actually um, 
who his real friends were, uh, and then meeting a, you know, like all Shakespearean tragedies, meets a, a tragic end. But um, yeah, it, it it is a great piece of literature. Um, n- not that much to do with worldview, but. I always like Catcher in the Rye as a book. Oh yeah, I've read that for sure. So I, you know, just when I, I'm out and about, just have to buy a copy of it whenever I see it. So there's hundreds of copies here. No, just kidding. <laughs> You're starting to freak me out. I was like, whoa, whoa. That's a, that's a. Uh, Speaking of Catcher in the Rye, the it, word that's both a, a movie reference and a real life. Uh, famous assassin absolutely um the word the word crummy not used enough (laughs) bring bring it back bring it back we'll catch it what about phony he always a phony is a good one (laughs) crummy phony and it i mean it's a very angsty teenager but you should read that book as a teenager yeah but at the end it ties into the worldview yeah um, some uh, Jockey Lule books. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's uh, well the the two epic ones, but also very much some of the most challenging ones. So I wouldn't necessarily say like read these first. Um, the Technological Society and then Propaganda. Um. Wasn't there another one, something about Christ? Well, so, but some some other ones, which many of these are are much more. Because you sent accessible. me, you sent me two. I read one, and I I made it like halfway through propaganda. Okay, well, I probably don't even have the one um, listed that I sent you because I was just looking at my bookshelf. So sure, uh, money and power, uh, the meaning of the city. Subversion of Christianity, Politics of God, Politics of Man, On Being Rich and Poor, uh, and The Presence of the Kingdom. I'd recommend all those. Um, oh, you're a big fan, but, aren't you? Know, you? Yeah. You, you, you get one and see if you like it. Maybe, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But how, how, br- uh, how brutal is it to listen to John C. Dvorak? brutalize it not only the pronunciation of his name but to well i don't know maybe he's right and i'm wrong i don't know yeah but the trivialization of it of what he's talking about i don't know he hasn't trivialized i think he liked it but not on the same well and i (laughs) it's funny because uh jockey lewell was very influential on theodore kaczynski like there's a lot of references to I actually know that I think I talked about that on the on the previous show so the thing with Theodore Kaczynski and people actually should read his manifesto and related it's there's a book now it's like his manifesto but then it's also pretty much every stuff he's written in prison that they let him that they let him publish anyway um and it's like uh as with most, the you know, I I really do think there's a fine line between like genius and insanity. I agree. Like that, it's it's not like yeah. opposite ends of the spectrum. It's no. like varying degrees of the same 
the same thing there. I, I knew a I knew a guy in my run runaway years. I ran into this guy that uh, before I joined the Navy, he was the one of probably the smartest person I've ever known, and also, you know, borderline the craziest. <laughs> I mean, it just yeah. So, and the thing with Kaczynski, I mean, you kind of wonder how much was the stuff that was done to him when they experimented on him, um, how much did that impact him? But it's also, I think the guy, the guy could see where society's going, but combine that with the fact that he's an atheist. So there's no hope in, there's no hope in God because right. it's a, you know. So, well, what are you going to do? You either go blow stuff up. So the the part that kind of separates him from uh, reality and from I think, you know, kind of meaningful contributions uh, is that lack of belief in God and you know, kind of the Darwinian view of the world. And so, but but. He's definitely worth reading as far as uh, I think some of his ideas do have some validity. I don't think they tell the whole story, but the fact that, uh, you know, human beings were made to to have to work to survive. So you're working to get mm. food, you're working to find shelter, you're working. So when everything's just kind of handed to you in a modern society it makes you really depressed because you don't have anything that you feel like you're like you're not actually living. You're just uh, being entertained or distracted or, you know, sitting in a cubicle without any real relationship to, to accomplishing anything. And so I guess one response to that is what we see now, you know, the preppers, people trying to live off the grid, um, I think even the tiny house kind of minimalism stuff is is related to this. But I thought that was just related to the stock market, but <laughs> from the from the uh from my perspective, you know, that's that still doesn't lead to true meaning, you know? And I mean, look, look at Kaczynski himself. Supposedly, you know, he says, well, if they'd left me alone on my own land, I never would have started bombing people. I would have just lived out, you know, my days in peace. Um, maybe that's real. Maybe that's not. But I, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's not the answer to, um, to all the problems. Like, yeah, maybe people, you know, back in the day struggling to survive weren't killing themselves like we have now. Um, but it doesn't mean that they're that they had achieved the ideal way of of living. I think there's an element of of suffering that's just built into human existence on a on a fallen planet. Um, whether you're an advanced society, a primitive society, you're still gonna suffer. You're gonna suffer differently. Um, but I think you know, without God, there's no actual meaning to it ironically he's without grace ironically he's a victim of the exact thing he was talking about yeah he doesn't instead of spending all of his time working to live he had everything handed to him or figured out a way to you know because he basically he saved up money from his job the only job he ever held when he was with his brother in chicago or whatever and that was how he lived he had built this you know land built this thing on on land 
uh, that they had owned and the family. But even then, the tax collector came and started looking for him, and he was only getting a few, like a very short amount of little amount of money every week. But anyway, it just kind of cracks me up that he's talking about what ended up being his biggest problem, which is too much spare time. Yeah. And so too much spare yeah. time to actually think about things and look at things. And so, yeah, he calls it the, the power process and, you know, basically having to struggle makes you stronger. It's, it's I think there's some validity there. I also think there's some, you know, Darwinism stuff that I, I don't hey, believe in. I'm a great example but, of that. Having to struggle makes you smarter. I've struggled my whole life up until very recently and I'm, I feel like I'm the better for it. Like I've learned a lot. However, <laughs> I wasted a ton of time and ended up in some atrocious situations. Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Well, um, I guess some other other influences. Uh, Flannery O'Connor. I definitely recommend her short stories. Um. Some of the T.S. Eliot stuff uh, was certainly, you know, mattered to me at, di- at different points. Um, Music-wise, hmm. Project 86, Thrice, Me Without You. Um, and a technique. Shout out to James Corbett. Uh, I did see the Smashing Pumpkins once, and it was it was an amazing concert, so... <laughs> uh, for me, I liked Immortal Technique and Killer Mike, both of which I don't recommend anybody go out and listen to right now, but <laughs> they get the point home. Yeah. But uh, did I tell you about Immortal Technique, or did you tell me about I think I, I, think, I think we both knew. I think, I, I, we, I think we did both know, because I, yeah. I said, do you like hip-hop? You're like, I remember, I remember I asked you, I was like, do you ever listen to hip-hop? And you're like... I like Immortal Technique. I was like, whoa, are you serious? That's awesome. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm not a hip-hop fan in general, but I, yeah. I did go through a Immortal Technique phase. There you go. Well, and I told you about Killer Mike, who 90% of the time is awesome. So, yeah, he's, he's pretty good uh, musically. So, um, you know what? It's kind of good to do this. I'm glad we did. It's kind of a, a new type of thing for our show. Um, and it, it really does address how it brings it all back, you know, talking about all those different things and kind of where we are now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it really does kind of bring it all back. I, I I forgot to actually mention my wife worked at a naturopathic university. My, she wasn't my wife at the time, but and uh, that was where I kind of learned about Monsanto and they're big in the news, mm. yeah, big in the news recently. And I actually remember telling her about it. And that was where I also, you know, I remember when I had first got the Navy and first got sober, I was like going to like Sam's Club and just like eating crap, man, like tuna helper and drinking tons of, you know, like Dr. Pepper or soda, you know. And I'm not saying those things are bad, so I'm not judging anybody. But I just, my, my, di- my diet was horrible, right? It was really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so that was all I knew. And then, uh, then I learned from you know learned about Monsanto and all this other thi- all these other things, and uh, learned about eating organic and stuff like that. And that whole movement has really kind of sparked up. And you know now the grocery stores have a way of taking away all our money. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, because <laughs> it's labeled organic. <laughs> but just kind of realizing that food is medicine, and, and part of you know your diet is a big deal. 
Um, and that was kind of, you know, that was a big, that was a big moment for me and for my wife as well. And, you know, we live in a great area where they, we have access to food that's not, you know, GMO or whatever, but it's super expensive. So <laughs> anyway. Well, and, and that is kind of a, it's a bridge to people because I think in general, you find a lot more people on the liberal end of the spectrum yes, that are into that. Absolutely. And so that's kind of a bridge to to relating to people yeah. and when they might have opposite views on, on other things. I'll so. never forget the, our missionary friend. She's, she's from Nicaragua. She grew up there. She went to uh, one of the hippie stores around here because I was like, hey, this place has some really cool stuff. And so we went in, you know, the guy's checking us out. And uh, he's like, got long dreadlocks and glasses and like the, you know, I just woke up look on his face and like barely even speaks to us. And like we're leaving. She like turns around, looks at me and like, is that... So that's that's who shops here. I'm like, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah give me the, some. Yeah. The, the, yeah. It's a lot of the people here, but you know, yeah. I think we've talked about before too. I came from an area where it was, uh, you know, in Oklahoma. They ask you if you're a Christian. You say, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I believe in Jesus. I believe in America too. I mean, I'm an American. Why wouldn't I be a Christian? <laughs> and up here, you ask somebody if they're a Christian, I'd be like, uh, no, no, thank you. And if you if they say yes, then then you know. Do I look like a bigot? Yeah, then, <laughs> I don't like Donald Trump. <laughs> now, if you're up here, if you ask them, then and they say yes, it actually means something, which we both kind of enjoy about living up here. Um, so that definitely affects us too. You know, it affects our worldview where we where we are, and uh, living up here in the great northwest, north left. Um, you know, we are just constantly surrounded by people who are bashing, you know, everything that's even slightly conservative and not that we are conservatives, but that's kind of where we're coming from is that, you know, we're kind of raging against that machine as we speak. And, uh, yes, it happens. It's amazing how much screaming about love there is <laughs> defined as like, if you don't want a, uh, you know, a 40 year old, um, cross-dressing man reading to your child you're not showing love you know that's <laughs> that's kind of the the definition it it always involves the the rainbow there but another another small tidbit i know i mentioned this on the show before but this is definitely formative i had someone in my boot camp division die <laughs> after uh we got injected with about uh i don't know 20 vaccines each uh, someone in my boot camp division died of meningitis. So that that was definitely that you know just full disclosure that colors my worldview. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, you know I got the sickest I've ever been after getting all those vaccines and, and still remember it to this day like the feeling uh, when I very first started coming down with it and then you know I I think we talked about this before I know I have mm-hmm. but I got really sick really fast like I was the first person sick out of the hundred and whatever people that were in our division or was it 80 something, but I was the first person sick. And like, I tried to hold back. I was like, no, no, I'm going to tough this out. And then it got to a point where I was like trying to concentrate on how to walk without falling over. And I was like, I, I probably should go to a doctor and I let him know. And they're like, okay, mm-hmm. okay. So I went and they said, okay, you get bed rest. And I was the first person on bed rest. And everybody was just looking at me like, this guy's weird. Like he's really sick and he's getting bed rest. I mean, we're in boot camp. We're supposed to be running and marching. 
And sure enough, everybody else just fell like flies through, you know, you know, basically. Do you think it was just the, all the vaccines or do you think they did a little experimenting on you? Uh, Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the, um, like the chiefs, the, the chiefs. So the, I didn't have a drill sergeant. That's the army. Here we had a chief. That's what that's what's in the navy. Um, but the the chiefs would all talk about how they all like we were told ahead of time that after all these vaccines we were gonna get sick. Some would have a cold. Some would have worse. But it was totally normal for us to get sick. It's just our bodies, you know, reacting or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I like I said I had a unique experience. just just like they tell parents like oh don't worry about the seizure your kids might have. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. um, they just told us, yeah, you're gonna feel sick, and like I had a weird experience, man. Like it just all of a sudden it t- like took me over. I'll never forget. Like remember, like because I wanted to tough it out. Can you imagine being the first one out of a hundred people? Everybody's been through the same thing, and you're like, hey, <laughs> yeah, I think that is a problem. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, and I held it out as long as I could, and I'm pretty tough uh, mentally and physically. I've never really been, you know. The first one to whine about anything, and, it, and then I had to I had to do it, and then sure enough, within a few weeks, all of a sudden, this one girl gets hospital, you know, taken from she's sick in quarters, then hospitalized, and then hey, she's gone. By the way, she's like, mm. what? That's crazy. So I don't, and then oh, and that was kind of just like it's one of those things, man. You just kind of store it away in your like memory bank, like this memory's not ever going to go anywhere, um, right? And then. Years later, you're doing a podcast with this guy you met at a Christian conference, and you start talking about vaccines, and it just you know comes right back to the surface. Like, hey, you know, and I'm not saying that she died; she could have died from something. I mean, meningitis from somewhere else, but it it, uh, it it definitely is a correlation in my mind that shapes my worldview. So, mm-hmm. that uh, full disclosure there, and 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 since then, I mean, how many soldiers and veterans have come forward and saying that they got have uh, have had issues? Either Gulf War syndrome or you know issues from the anthrax vaccine, which by the way I narrowly avoided somehow. Mm. It's like a six-part installment, and if you miss the first one, and I like somehow I just you know between getting arrested and <laughs> getting in trouble and you know getting over here and doing this over there, I kept missing the first installment. So then by the time that the fir- you know they were like, you know going for third, second, third, or fourth installments or whatever, they were all out of the first. I was like, well, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I don't get it. So I never actually got it, which they kept telling me. I was like, we're going to war. You're going to die. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. in, in what case? Like, what scenario does an anthrax bomb hit an aircraft carrier that's surrounded <laughs> by four other boats and a submarine at all times? Like, right. where's that scenario going to play out? Where's and- the... It- <laughs> The long-range anthrax bombs. <laughs> I just don't yeah. get it. Yeah. And by the way, after being on a on a ship on an aircraft carrier like that for four years, every time I see the Transformers scene where the Decepticons swoop down and they shoot a uh, aircraft carrier from within sight of it, I always bust up laughing. <laughs> <laughs> not not happening. But anyway. But I digress. There was a few little tangents that I had missed, but I, I think I knocked them all out. Monsanto vaccines. Monsanto, a uh, great podcast put out by Mr. Corbett this week. I almost mentioned it the last time we did a show, but Monsanto no longer exists. Yeah, just back to Bayer. Just back to Bayer. At least Bayer's never been involved in anything sketchy. Oh. <laughs> Cyclone B? 
but they're known mainly in the U.S. Like before I got into this conspiracy stuff and looking into alternative media, I knew them as the aspirin people. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they make that too. All right, my friend, you've had four hours of sleep. I think we uh, did. We accomplish yeah. what we set out to do in this show. I think so. I've even got some. If I remember, I've got some, some, uh, you know, f- future words of wisdom I can pull here. So, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for. I'm ready for words of wisdom. I think we accomplished it. Thanks for listening to our show. Thanks for constantly, consistently listening to our show. Thanks to the people that support it. Hey, we just got a note a couple weeks ago. Said, "Hey, I got to stop the the donation." This guy was donating twenty five bucks a month to us one of our bigger supporters and I said please stop yeah yeah whatever he's one of the greatest supporters we have if anybody else wants to step up fill that gap eventually we got to replace Andrew's computer but for now thank you very much for listening to our show thank you for supporting us thank you it just you know boggles my mind that yeah you two, and I you and I could 200 talk, episodes it boggles my mind you and I can talk to each other from in my dark dank garage here <laughs> and uh you know that you know you know well over a thousand people sometimes even higher back in our heyday much higher than that want to download it and listen to it and and uh it's just it's crazy man that's that's the size of a that's the size of a big church that's a big big church yeah well and we may be living in the middle of a panopticon with constant surveillance and the everything we do digitally being recorded and tracked and traced but at least we get it podcasts so at least we get podcasts thank you technology that's that's great podcasts are awesome and yeah I'm all my uh political is it, we do live in a panopticon but there's no need to uh, research my political affiliations thank you facebook <laughs> for trying to classify me as conservative uh all you had to do is go out and listen to a podcast that's freely available there you go <laughs> all right andrew hoffman if you have any words of wisdom i'm looking forward to them um I'll go this is part of a, a a bigger package which we can do next time but uh, uh, and Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn quote from 1978 uh, we have placed too much hope in political and social reforms only to find out that we were being deprived of our most precious possession our spiritual life so Oof. That is a great way to end the show, Mr. Hoffman. So that's, you know, whatever value there is in our podcast, pointing people towards that uh, realization is kind of what we try to do. Hey, so. everybody out there that's uh, listening to the show that's a, that's that's not a Christian, thank you for listening. Please continue to listen. We love to, we love having you. Uh, everybody out there that is listening to the show that is a Christian, please pray for us. Please pray for me, my family, my son. Please pray for Andrew, his family, his, his daughters. Uh, we could use it, you know. Not that we're either yeah. either of us are going through, it, but I think there's some serious prayer warriors and some real people out there that that could uh, that could support us in that way, which is way more important than helping to get Andrew to get a new computer, and way more important than telling your friends about the show. Please, yeah. we, we so invite it. Please pray for us. He, our youngest daughter has some, uh, hopefully. Uh, minor and routine surgery coming up later this week yeah. so pray prayers are are appreciated for sure let's pray for that for sure and uh pray for uh, some wisdom for me and, and how to uh to best be an example in my family um i also want to point out 
you know, Ellie being our youngest known listener, we also have another listener. I believe his name is William in Alaska, who was, I think it was over 70. So we have a quite the quite the gamut there, man. So if you're older than that, send us an email if you can figure out how. <laughs> no, just That's just a little joke the there. The worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Meanwhile, if you're younger than that, Snapchat us at. Obviously, no, I'm just obviously you can do email if you can do uh, <laughs> if you listen to podcasts. So, <laughs> and if you're younger than that, send us a Snapchat on our Snap code because Andrew doesn't even know what that is. So, <laughs> that's right. All right, buddy. Well, 200 episodes. Thanks for doing them with me. Here's to uh, however many more the Lord has us together. Let's. At least, at least two more. <laughs> Just put it on the calendar. Two yeah. more. I'll pencil it in. Yeah. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the contact tab or support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com. And thank you for your support of this podcast.